This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Lord, we thank you for this Advent season, and we thank you for coming to this earth. We bless you that you did the Father's will, that you sacrificed your life, that you left the Father's glory, and you came to this old sin-cursed earth to live and to die for us. And so we bless you today, and so as we read your word this morning, as we delve again into the Advent story, we pray, O God, that your Holy Spirit will witness to our hearts and that we will respond accordingly. This we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Come with me, please, to Luke chapter 2. Gospel of Luke chapter 2. I'm going to begin reading from verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place when Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, every one to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was while they were there, the days were, were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now they were there in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and to see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. The Christmas story has many characters, all of them with a unique story to tell. Obviously, Mary and Joseph are the primary characters. And then, of course, there was Simeon and Anna, Elizabeth, Zacharias, and Herod, the wise men, the magi, and the angels. But this morning I want these moments to focus our thoughts on the shepherds 
the shepherds. When God announced the birth of his son, he did not go to Caesar Augustus in Rome. He certainly didn't go to Herod in his palace in Jerusalem. And he did not go to the chief priest in the temple. Instead, he sent his holy angels to lowly shepherds looking after their sheep in the fields surrounding Bethlehem. Now, whenever a head of state visits another country, be that the President of the United States or be that the Queen of England, then officials are informed way ahead of the visit. Politicians are told uh, how to treat a dignitary. And of course, security is at a high alert all over the city. And then, of course, as well as all of that, the world's press are there to beam the story right around the world. But when God sent his son to visit this earth, he did it in a very understated way. There was literally on that day, that night, only a handful of people that he informed. And it's those few people this morning, the shepherds, that I want us to focus on. They have to understand that the shepherds who were the first to hear this announcement, that in Christ's day, uh, they were literally the bottom rung of the societal ladder. And they were treated very poorly indeed. In fact, because of their job and, and because of the, the long hours and the inconvenient hours, they were not able to fulfill all of the man-made laws that the scribes and Pharisees had surrounded the law of God, which meant, in fact, because they couldn't do that, they were barred from temple worship. They could not go to the temple to worship. And as well as that, because of their reputation among the established, the religious establishment of the day, they were not even allowed to witness in a court of law. So we're talking here about the very lowest of the low in society, those who would be looked down upon, particularly by the religious establishment. But it was to these men that God gave the announcement of the birth of his son. Strange how they treated shepherds at that particular juncture in history, particularly the Jews. Because was not Abraham the founder of their faith? Did not he shepherd his flocks? Did not Moses, the great lawgiver, did not he spend 40 years as a shepherd in the deserts of Midian? Was not King David uh, a shepherd boy when he began his career to be king? And interestingly, it's fitting that he went to the shepherds first because that little baby would grow up even though he would ply his trade as a carpenter, yet he would call himself the good shepherd. And he would be called the great shepherd and the chief shepherd. And so I think it's fitting that the first ones that God announced the birth of his son to uh, would be these shepherds. In Acts 2 and 5, it says, they were dwelling at Jerusalem, Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And although that's many years later, a few decades later. But there's no doubt in my mind that these Jews who live close to Jerusalem 
would be devout men. I don't think God would cast his pearls before swine. I think these were devout men, probably men that even though they were in a lowly position were waiting for the consolation of Israel like Simeon was in the temple. And so it's to these shepherds that God comes and, and shows this wonderful truth. His son was sent to this earth. And it's interesting how they responded to this wonderful truth. And that's what I want to focus on this morning and how that we can respond to the truths that God gives us. And so let's look this morning at these, the ways that these shepherds responded to the truth. First of all, they heard the truth and they believed it. Incredible though it must have seemed, impossible though it must have seemed, but they believed and they had faith. Generally speaking, there's great, today, great skepticism, and cynicism, and, and criticism regarding Christ and the Christian faith. Tragically, in the Church of England, it's amazing how many bishops doesn't believe in the virgin birth, <laughs> apart from believing in the resurrection. You wonder what else is left to believe in. And during this Advent season, it's increasingly being viewed as a non-Christian event. Advertisers are finding it very, very hard to say the word Christmas, aren't they? So we have whole happy holidays and festive season and just anything and everything but to say the word Christmas in case there's some perceived offense taken by somebody somewhere uh, and nativity plays, uh, just reading this week in the paper in Belgium, that nativity plays were going to be banned in case it, uh, uh, it may offend some Muslim. Well, they don't worry about offending us. You go to Saudi Arabia, you can't even take your Bible with you. But that's the secular world that we're living in today in the West. Uh, and Surveys reveal how ignorant in the Western world that, that children are becoming about the true story and reason of Christmas. The Christian Institute uh, has written, said a third of children, a third of children between the ages of 10 and 13 did not know that Christmas marks the birth of Jesus, the birth of Jesus Christ. Did not know. A third of children between 10 and 13. And that was a survey of 2,000 families the poll also found that only 10% of adults can correctly state four facts about Jesus' birth. And half of those surveyed said it is not relevant to their Christmas celebrations. <laughs> Somebody said the other day, I don't know who it was, they said, if you take Christ out of Christmas, all you've left is M&S. <laughs> For American friends, that's a, a brand store. <coughs> I wish you had a thought of that. That's good, isn't it? And so Francis Goodwin, who, who, who did this poll, said, Britain is fast becoming one of the world's most secular countries. As nations get richer, they think they no longer need God. He also said it was a problem with political correctness in schools, which think they should not focus on the Christian roots of Christmas because of inclusivity. 
but it is misguided. People of other faiths are not offended he committed. Sally and I is flown through Dubai Airport at Christmas. <laughs> An Arab nation, Muslim nation, and there's a Christmas tree right in the middle of the airport. Why? Because it's good business. Last year, a survey of 2,000 people showed that 12% of Londoners think the Bible features Father Christmas. It also showed that 7% of the public think Christmas trees are in the Bible, a proportion which nearly doubles among 18 to 35-year-olds. Listen, people are biblically illiterate. Illiterate. Colin Hart, director of the Christian Institute, said at the time, this poll shows a worrying lack of knowledge about our country's Christian heritage that has shaped our history, institutions, and laws, even who we are and our very values. Ironically, man would rather believe the lie of evolution than the truth of creation. And that's the state that Britain is in today. We've become secularized. The shepherds believed in an age of unbelief. God had not spoken from heaven for 400 years, from Malachi to John the Baptist. The heavens were as brass. No speaking prophet. No oracle of God. Silence. And now God is coming to this world 2,000 years ago that was pagan. The Greco-Roman world was pagan. Many gods they worshipped. The priesthood was corrupt spiritually. Right to the very top, down. And into that, spiritually devoid world, that dark world, that's when God sent his only son to come in his first advent. This world we're living in is not much better. Sure it's not. It's not much better. In fact, in some ways, it's even worse. Jesus said, in Matthew 7, you don't need to turn to this, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, but because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, there are few who find it. I think that's some of the most sobering words Jesus ever spoke. Christianity is in the minority. It's a growing minority. It's a big minority, but it is a minority and will always be so until Christ comes. If we think the whole world is going to be Christianized, I'm sorry, it's a narrow way and few there be that find it and a difficult way. Not an easy path. They're looking for an easy path. Pick something else. That's what Jesus said. The easy path is the broad way where it doesn't cost, where you're not going to get hassled. 
Jesus said, my way is the narrow gate, it's the straight gate. It's the difficult way, few there be that find it. And so Jesus came to a world that was pagan, a world that was sexualized, every bit as bad as today, a world where the priests were corrupt, where the, if you could use the, the church was in a terrible state, and that's when God sent his son, and that's what he sent his son into. The shepherds believed in an age of unbelief. You know, there was a time a couple of centuries ago, in the 1800s, that we called the Enlightenment. Well, men began to experiment and invent, and science began to rise, and, and people began to believe uh, and bought into the idea that we don't need God, that there is no God, that invention and creativity of men and all of this, that we can, we can do it ourselves. And so man enthroned self and put God off his throne and enthroned self instead. And man felt they've got the answer to all the world's problems because of, of, of their technology then, which has greatly increased today, and because of their inventiveness and because of their creativity and because of science that was on the rise. Two world wars shook that notion to the core because we found out very quickly that man didn't have all the answers to this sinful, wicked world. Lois, are you looking for a mother for that little boy? There you go. I think he just found us. All right, so two world wars for a while put paid to that. But then man, being man, of course, rose up again. And, 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 you know, towards the end of the 20th century, in the 21st century, man again is on the ascendancy. We don't need God. We can do this. Science is not a God. And then just a few years ago, there was that worldwide financial economic crash. <laughs> and man was shaking once again. But man always rises up. We don't need God. And so into this type of world today, if ever there was a, a reason to preach Christ and him crucified, if ever there's a reason even to remind people why Jesus came in the first place, it's today. The shepherds believed in the age of unbelief. The shepherds believed straight away. They heard the message once. And they believed straight away. You know, as a church, and you know this, because uh, you've met the people concerned that we support Richard Agnes Gunning and their, and their great ministry of Reach the Unreached, where they've raised up hundreds of churches in Africa, uh, particularly Kenya. And their whole aim is to go where Christ's name is not heard. And often they find that the places they go and the people hear about Christ for the very first time. Lots of them has never even heard the name Jesus. 
and they respond immediately. It is such good news to those whose life is in bondage to demonism and animism and all the kinds of isms that are out there. And suddenly they hear this wonderful story that God, the Almighty God, sent His only Son to come and to die for their sins and to free them from it. No wonder they respond. They heard for the first time. Most of us in this country has heard for the millionth time. But how many respond? My wife brought up in Sunday school and taught the catechism and came time to, uh, to partake of the communion. She wouldn't do it because she felt that she wasn't right. Didn't feel she was a true believer. But the very first time she went to a church and heard the gospel preached, an appeal was given. The first time she ever heard an appeal given for salvation, she immediately responded and got saved that night. It took me a few years after that before I responded, and I was brought up in it. But as soon as she heard that appeal, immediately she responded. Trouble is, if you keep hearing it and hearing it and hearing it and don't respond, after a while, you become cold to it. And then it may take a real crisis to shake you up, to get you to think again. But these shepherds, they heard the message once, and immediately they believed. It was that great Canadian pastor who one time said, nobody has the right to hear the gospel twice, everybody's heard it once. In our wee country, we've heard it for centuries. The shepherds believed before they saw the evidence. They believed before they saw the Christ child. They heard about him, but they hadn't saw him. <coughs> but they had faith. They believed the word that they were told and they responded accordingly. Let us go to see this thing that's come to pass. Hadn't seen it yet, but they believed. Like those ten lepers that Jesus said, go and show yourself as a testimony to the priest. And as they went, nothing has happened yet. But they believed what he said. And as they went, they were cleansed. And this is the wonderful thing about faith. Blessed are those who have not seen yet believed. And we have never seen Christ, but we believe the story, the word that was told us. We believe the book. And that's what faith does. And so without that physical evidence, they still believed. And they went. The shepherds believed and they did something about it right away. Verse 15, let us go to Bethlehem. Verse 16, and they came with haste. They didn't waste any time. They just believed and they went. 
Would that everybody would respond as quickly as that. But we don't. But they did. And the quicker you respond, the better. As soon as they heard, they believed, and they went with haste. Some of us, it took years after we heard before we went and had that encounter with Christ. Thank God for his patience. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God he waited on us. Thank God he didn't cut us off. He didn't get fed up. He was long-suffering. He was of tender mercies. He was patient, and he waited, and he waited, and he waited until finally we came. But they did something about it right away. Belief affects behavior. Belief affects behavior. What you believe is going to affect how you live, how you behave. The word affects your walk. So we better believe the right thing. Because a lot of people say it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you sincerely believe it. Nonsense. You have to believe what's right. Because it's going to affect your whole behavior. And it's going to affect not only your life, but the life of those around you, including your neighbors or those you work with, your close family, your extended family. It's going to affect everybody. And we know that. If any one of us was to step out of line and fall into some sin or other, it wouldn't just stop with us. It would affect our whole family. It would affect our testimony to those we work with. The shepherds believed and then they saw the fruit of their faith. Verse 16, they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They had that encounter with Christ. They heard the truth and they believed it. They heard the truth and they told it. In verse 17, and now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning the child. And those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard as it was told them. They spoke of what they had seen and heard. Somebody said an ounce of experience is better than a ton of theory. When you experience Christ and you encounter the Lord Jesus, it's a marvelous thing. He may not initially, you don't initially understand much. All you know is, I'm changed. This has happened to me. I've got a testimony. It's a wonderful thing to have a testimony. The Chinese church, for instance, which is a, 
a marvel in the Christian world that is growing exponentially, exploding. Now, what they need is people to teach them the words because all kinds of cults has come into China and have stolen some of them away because they, they didn't know the word. Some of them hasn't even got a Bible. But what they do have is a zeal to share Christ with their neighbor, with family members. They don't have the theology, but they've got a zeal to share Christ. The theology comes later. And whenever you and I came to Christ, we didn't have much theology either, did we? We didn't understand much about it. All we knew was, I'm changed, I'm saved, I'm different. We began to learn some stuff later on. The Word became alive to us, and we were taught. We know now, now, we know now more than we did then. But at the beginning, we didn't know much. All we knew was, I'm changed, I'm saved, something's happened to me. And that was a great testimony. It's amazing what your personal testimony can do to somebody's life. Sometimes we don't share with people because we think, well, what if they ask me this question or that question, the other question? What if I don't have the answer? Just be honest. Say, you know what? That's a good question. I don't have the answer to that right now, but I'll find the answer for you. But let me tell you what happened to me. Let me give you my testimony. Let me share to you. Let me share with you what Christ has done for me. Sometimes if you're talking to the cults, because they don't have that testimony. They're trying to work their way into God's favor. And they work very hard to try to do that. Whereas you've got a testimony of grace and mercy. They spoke of what they had heard the angel tell them. The word that they were given, they shared it. They spoke it. Your testimony is wonderful, and you'll have lots of opportunities to share that over the years. But it's good, and it's even better if you can mix that with the Word. Let me give you an example. I'm looking at Joyce sitting down at the back. Joyce and her charity shop, and I know that Christine does this too. They're always witnessing at every opportunity. Go into Joyce's shop, she'll be all over you like a rash in a nice way. Finding a way to try to share Christ with you. And I have lost count of the people that's been witnessed to and prayed for among the bric-a-brac in Darlingstown. People has come to faith in Christ among the bric-a-brac. And she'll share her testimony, or Raymond's testimony, and this is what the Lord has done for me. But, and I've heard her at it, but generally she'll say, because sometimes people let you say so much and then they, you see <laughs> the nonverbal communication says, please stop talking. <laughs> Don't talk anymore. <laughs> so what she'll do at that point is say, now, I, I'm just going to stop now, but can I just leave this wee scripture with you? Because this is the Word of God. Can I just leave this wee scripture with you? And uh, she'll have a scripture in her heart that she'll just share. Now, I'll just leave that with you. 
And oftentimes, you see, that's the seed of the incorruptible Word of God. And oftentimes, it's that wee seed of the Word of God that lodges in the heart, and they can't shake it off. They heard the Word, and they talked about it. Everywhere they went, they were full of it. They spoke of the Christ child. In verse 17, we just read it. Once they had that encounter, they spoke of the Christ child. Christ was at the center of their witness. It's all they talked about. Do you remember when you got saved at the beginning? Do you remember how different you were, how excited you were, how zealous you were? and how you wanted to share. I, I remember whenever I became a believer, it was a Saturday night, uh, and I, I worked in, at that time in, in Mitchell and Tire Factory. This was in the early 70s. And I remember it was a Saturday night, and I was starting my night shift on Sunday night, the next night at 11 o'clock. I couldn't wait to go in there because I, I was changed. I, I was completely and utterly... I, I knew I was totally radically changed. But I had a wee bit of trepidation because I knew, because I'd seen it in others, that once you announce that, then you're in for all kinds of banter and you get the stick and you get slagged and all the rest of it. But that's okay. I knew that was coming. That. I didn't have to wait very long, by the way, to get share my testimony because I hadn't even started five minutes till one of my workmates came over to me and he was just about to launch into something and I stopped him and I said, and I mentioned to him, I says, let me just stop you right there. I says, I don't want you to tell me that. And he looked at me as if, why? I says, because last night I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I became born again last night. And he looked at me and then he looked all, he looked all around and he says, my wife's a Christian too. Did you know that? I says, no, I didn't know that. You never told me. And he was looking all around to make sure nobody else heard that. He was one of the nicer ones. He says, fair play to you. That's nice. That's good. They weren't all like that. But there was a few Christians there and I couldn't wait to tell them. And as soon as I told them, they hugged me, they shook my hand, they congratulated me. Wonderful, great news. We've been praying for you and they witnessed to me and it was wonderful. I remember he's a Baptist pastor today and he used to come out in my home whenever I was a young lad and he told us that when he became a Christian he, he was just so full of it he just was uh, he was just excited and he was thrilled and, and he says I worked on a grocery shop at the time and I was thinking about Jesus all day long it was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus and he says a woman came and she bought a bottle of HP sauce and she had it on the counter she reached me the money and I said thank you Jesus <laughs> He says, I felt my face burning after I said, he says, I, I was just thinking of Jesus so much, he just came right out of me. <laughs> and, and it's wonderful when you get saved and you're as zealous as that, but what happens to that zeal? Sometimes we let that zeal go a little bit. Do you remember Simeon in the temple? You remember what he said when he, when he, when he saw the little babe eight days later? He says, now I have seen the Lord's Christ. 
Now let me depart in peace. He was an old, old man. He said, I've waited for this all of my life. This is my answer to prayer. I long for this day and I see the Lord's Christ. Lord, let me depart in peace. I don't need to live anymore. This is the pinnacle. It's never going to get any better than this. They spoke of the Christ child. They spoke about the story they have just seen and heard everywhere they went. Now look what happens when we speak of Christ. First of all, it says many marveled. But then it says Mary meditated. She pondered. Many marveled. Everywhere they talked about it, to other shepherds, no doubt, to people in the city and family and friends, and, and everybody heard of that. This is a marvelous story. This is it's a mysterious story. This is wonderful. Unbelievable. He saw the angels, and they said to go, and there was this little child in a manger. I mean, what child is born in a manger? Marvelous story. But they didn't do anything about it. Do you know how I know that? Because 18 months, roughly later, maybe even two years later, when the wise men came to Jerusalem, asking about the king that was born, nobody knew. Nobody knew. But in 18 months, nobody was talking about this. The priest had to go and look up the book and find out it was Bethlehem. Herod didn't know, and he knew everything. He had spies all over the city. Nobody was talking about this. They marveled when they heard it at the start, but then it dissipated. And sometimes in our witness to others, even family members, they marvel. Ah, yeah, that's good. That's interesting. That's nice. That's wonderful even for you but they don't marvel very long and then it's forgotten about <coughs> but Mary she meditated it says Mary pondered these things in her heart when something goes from your head to your heart they say that 18 inches is the longest distance in the world from your head to your heart and you can hear the story all your life and maybe you've marveled at it, but it has to go from your head to your heart. And Mary kept all these things in her heart. Hmm. That marvel that she had went to her heart, not just her head. And that's the wonderful thing about salvation. It's not just your head, it's your heart. It's a heart issue to begin with, isn't it? Our head will become more knowledgeable. Our head knowledge. We'll get to know more stuff. But it's the issue of the heart. Heard the truth and they believed it. They heard the truth and they told it. They heard the truth and they lived it. It says in verse 20, And the shepherds returned. Hmm. Returned to what? Return to their job. Return to shepherding. Return to the fields. Return to their families. Return to their community. But they were changed men. They returned 
differently than they had went. They were changed men. Something had happened that absolutely changed their whole life. Uh, I wish the Holy Spirit, who's the author of the book, I wish he had let us in a little bit more how they progressed as shepherds after that. But the Bible only tells us what we need to know. But they were changed. They had that encounter with Christ. They would never be the same. They were changed men, but they returned to their jobs. Now, whenever I became a believer, I told you a few moments ago, I was working in that tire factory. And when I went into work that night, that Sunday night after Saturday night getting saved, I was a changed man, radically changed, would never be the same. And I knew it. But I had to return to that job. I had to return to my family. I had to return to my community. None of that changed. I changed. That stayed the same for years, every day, every night, every afternoon, every shift. I had to go back to that same place. A changed man, but I had to keep going back. Not everybody is going to, when they get saved, going to suddenly find themselves in so-called full-time ministry. Most people won't. God wants most people to be changed, but where you are to be salt and light where you are. Oftentimes, people's in a job and they tell me, I hate this job, I hate these people, it's desperate, this job, I get so much to get done, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I say, wait a minute, you're not supposed to be salt and light there? Salt and light in here is not going to make any difference, is it? It's going to make a difference out there where you are. When the rubber hits the road, that's where you'd be salt and light. But I didn't know this right then that years later the time had come and I felt it coming years later but the time had come when I would come into quote unquote full time ministry and I remember the guys I work with the Christians were delighted they were pleased for me but the unbeliever especially my boss he said to me are you sure because out of 2,000 people there was 200 of us we were the big money men, they said, because we had the best jobs. In fact, I was paid more than my boss with my bonuses. So no wonder he says to me, are you sure? Look at all the security you've got here. Are you sure? My wife said, are you sure? <laughs> but I was sure. I was sure. <clears throat> and the time came to move it. By the way, all that security was gone. It's not there any longer. It's gone. Closed down. It's all industrial units today. I drive past it many times and think. Do you remember on the Mount of Transfiguration how that when those disciples saw Jesus and his effulgent glory? And how that they loved that. And, and, and Peter says, Lord, let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Let us stay here. Let us park here. This is wonderful. This is exciting. I want to be here. I don't want to go down there. I want to be here. No, no. They had to come off the mountain and they had to go down where the people were. 
You remember the man of Gadara that was demonized and how that Jesus made that special journey to the other side, to Gennesaret, and released him, set him free? And all those swine went down, he'd give them permission to go into the pigs and went and drowned themselves, and, and the whole town was in uproar and told them to get out. And that wee man who was delivered, he says, Lord, I, I want to go with you. Couldn't blame him, sure you couldn't. I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no. I want you to stay here. Tell your family, tell everybody what the Lord has done for you, the compassion he's had on you. Spread the word. So he had to go back to his family. He had to go back to his community that he had scared the life out of for years, living in the graveyard, naked, crying night and day. He had to go back to all that community. But he was a changed man. And everybody would see the change. Hmm. Little Samuel, just a little boy. When Hannah gave birth to him, before she gave birth, she says, Lord, if you give me a man child, I'll give him back to you. So she had little Samuel. And she went to Eli, priest. Says, there he is. And so he grew up, just as a little boy in the temple, helping Samuel, the old priest. And he had certain duties he had to fulfill. And you remember how that when God came to him in the middle of the night with a prophetic word for Samuel, that all the ears of Israel would tingle at? It was a mighty, mighty thing he was going to have to do. And he was only a wee boy. And he didn't, even hear God. he didn't even know it was God's voice. Samuel had to say, now you can lie down this time. You say, speak, Lord, for your servant hears after the third time. And he did. But, but I, I like that story because it tells us that the next morning when he was to deliver this message, he didn't just rush into Samuel and say, or Eli and say, hey, Eli, you never know what God said to me last night. I can't wait to tell you. Mm. He was struggling even to tell him because this was going to be the end of the priestly ministry here. But before he did anything, it says, he opened the door of the temple because that's what his job was. That's his duty. That's what he was there for, to open the door of the temple and other things, of course, too. But he didn't lay aside his duty in order to deliver this great shuddering, earth-shuddering message from God. He did his duty as he always did. And so we can have an encounter with Christ we can be completely and utterly changed, but then we've got to go back. We've got to return to that real world out there and let our light shine. Let us be salt and light. Let us share our testimony. And then finally, they were found glorifying and praising God. Found glorifying and praising God. I think this is saying more than just having warm, fuzzy feelings. Now, having the fuzzies is nice from time to time. Nothing wrong with that. But you can't live in the fuzzy feelings. So I think this implies a bit more than just that moment having that wonderful, uplifting feeling. I think they were radically changed. And I think there was a continuing in their life of glorifying God, of praising God. 
it's lovely when we come in here on a Sunday morning and we can worship and lift our hands and clap our hands and glorify God. Wonderful. So what about out there? What about when you're on your own? What about when you're driving the car? What about when you've got those moments in your room? So it becomes something that's a part of you. And so there they were. Heard the truth, they believed it. They heard the truth, they told it. And most importantly, they heard the truth and they lived it. That's the shepherd's story. What's your story? What's my story? It's still being written yet, isn't it? It's not a complete story yet. It's still being written every single day of our lives. And so this Christmas season, think about the Advent story. Think about everybody involved and each of them had a unique story to tell. What's your story? What's my story? Because all of us has got a testimony of our encounter with Christ, the one who came to save us. Let's give thanks. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.